And I mentioned this morning uh, in the sermon, we're going to expand on something that was brought up there in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12. And that is namely where he says there, so that you will not be sluggish. So that you will not be sluggish. This passage in much of what we dealt with this morning had to do with the uh, issue of diligence. Diligence, faithfulness, Uh, in obedience to God, the pursuit of holiness, the labor of love toward the saints, and the need for that diligence so as to uh, give to us uh, a greater faith as we are diligent and we apply ourselves to the things of God, then these are the means God uses to build up our faith, to produce more good fruit within us, which then gives us greater confidence that we do indeed have true saving faith, that the grace of God is within us, which then increases our hope, right? So that we have an even greater assurance and confidence in all of these blessings that God has promised to pour out upon his people. So there is this need then for diligence, faithfulness, zeal, uh, that we pursue the things of God with fervor throughout our Christian life, and that we give our Uh, daily to the pursuit of righteousness, to faith, to the labor of love, to all the things laid out for us by God, and that there are various duties that we are to give ourselves to throughout the time of our sojourning. This is the time for us to work for the Lord. Well, sluggishness is the uh, contrary vice. Uh, The opposite of diligence is that a person is sluggish or slothful, Uh, in a spiritual state. And spiritual sloth is ruinous uh, to the soul of a man and to the profession, to the comfort, to the hope, to all those things that God gives to us in this life that causes us to persevere and comforts us during the time of our sojourning. Because our Christian life is accompanied with many hardships, trials, tribulations. And those things can be overwhelming to us if we're not sustained with hope, right? With this hope that of God's love and what he's done within us. Well, when a person is a sluggard spiritually, when they're not giving themselves as they should to the duties laid out for them by God, it can uh, cause them to go backwards in their Christian faith or that they lose their assurance, they lose their joy, they can be discouraged, they can become despondent, they can be beset with fears and trepidations, these types of things that God does not want for his children. And again, whether we're diligent or sluggish is going to affect these uh, blessings and the assurances and comforts that God grants to his people. So we're going to deal with that issue of spiritual sloth or spiritual Sluggishness. I want to read from Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26, which we reference this verse today, or a verse in this passage today, and, and we'll use it kind of as our springboard here as we begin to deal with this issue. And certainly this has bearing in this present life. And oftentimes when we think of the sluggard or the slothful man, we're thinking of it in terms of work and a calling, our labor in this present life, right? One, in their employment, in their job, whatever they, they're doing, they're a sluggard or they're slothful. They're not someone who is working. Well, certainly that is true in a physical sense, and it pertains to our present life. And many of the comforts of this life are deprived. A man is deprived of those things through sluggardness, through sloth. He's not going to have the money to buy a nicer house to buy a nicer car, 
to even buy groceries and the food and have access to health care or whatever it is that he needs that's going to give him a better life. He doesn't have access to those things because he has no money, and he has no money because he's not working, right? He's lazy, and he's not giving himself uh, to uh, what he ought to do to his calling. Well, just as it is in the physical sense, so it also is in the spiritual sense. Many of the comforts and blessings that God gives to his people, the sluggard spiritually is going to be deprived of those things because the way God has ordained for us to obtain them is through diligence. This is what we were talking about this morning. Assurance is a gift that God gives, but he gives it in a certain way. And the means that God has ordained by which we receive this assurance is through our diligence and our attending to our salvation, to our growth, to our maturity in the faith. And that's not going to happen accidentally, but it happens through diligence in giving ourselves to the means ordained by God, to prayer, to the reading of the word, to the memorizing of scripture, to the communion with the saints, to being watchful, to being aware of temptation and dangers, and doing whatever we can to uh, to cut off the flesh, to mortify the deeds of the flesh, right? Those are pursuits that have to be a part of our Christian life. We can't have this let go and let God approach uh, to Christianity where we're just going to kind of float through and just hope and, and say, God, you, you just do it all for me. Certainly God is the one who has to do it and God has to work in us, but he does not work apart from us. He works in and through us and we are called to be faithful. It is our responsibility. We are called to strengthen what remains, right? To put off the flesh, to put on the spirit, right? We have to do those things. And our sanctification includes our activity, that we be active and diligent in the things of God. Proverbs 26, verse 13. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. There, the sluggard is described in these ways. Right? It's not that the sluggard has the inability to work. It's not that he's an amputee or he's blind, he's lame, he's debilitated in some way, and he doesn't have the ability to go out and work. The ability is there. Everything he needs physically to go out and work and to earn a living and to provide for his family, he has all those abilities. What is he lacking? It's the desire. He doesn't have the desire to go and work because he would rather have ease and uh, sleep and slumber, and to take it easy and not give himself because there are difficulties accompanying work, right? It's hard. It's difficult, right? You sweat. You have to get up early. You have to, to go, and you're there all day long, and he'd rather sell to just having a good time. But if that's the case, then the things that he desires, the blessings, he's not going to receive. He puts his hand into the dish because in the dish, is some tasty morsel, right, that he wants to put into his mouth that's going to give him the delight of having some good food to eat. But he's so lazy, he puts his hand in the dish, and he can't even bring himself to put it back into his mouth again. And there are many people, spiritually speaking, who they see the blessings. They see a godly person, a godly man or a godly woman, and they see that and they say, I want to be like that person. 
right? I see the comfort. I see the blessings upon their family. I see uh, the assurances that they have. They, they, their life is a blessed life from God. And they want and they desire that blessing, but they're unwilling to do what is necessary to become that kind of person, right? They want all of the benefits without any other responsibility and without any of the diligence that is necessary, as if this godly person among us just came to that overnight without being faithful to the Lord. The life of faithfulness is necessary in order to arrive at that state of maturity. Many people want the blessings of the maturity, but they don't want the diligence necessary to get that. Just like everyone would desire to stand upon that podium to receive the gold medal at the Olympics, but very, very few people have the diligence and the discipline to subject their bodies to such rigorous training so as to attain that prize. And this is the way it is in the Christian life. Everyone wants the prize. Everyone wants heaven. Everyone wants eternal glory. But we have to run the race and we have to compete according to the rules. And the rules that God has established are clearly laid out in his word. And we must be faithful to the Lord. We must serve the Lord. We must be obedient to him. We must diligently give ourselves to the things of God. Just as physical sluggishness is, ruins a man's comforts in this present life, so spiritual sluggishness is ruinous to spiritual comforts, right? Full assurance of hope cannot be obtained without diligence, right? Diligence is the virtue. Sluggishness is the contrary vice. And here, though the apostle in Hebrews chapter 6, he has stated to them that he is convinced of better things concerning them. He's convinced of those things that are concerning salvation. Yet he lets them know that the enjoyment of these good things cannot be obtained through sloth, but only through diligence. They need to overcome their dullness of hearing, and they need to press on to maturity, and he wants in them the same diligence, the same faithfulness that they have shown previously in their life, and even that some among them are still showing at this time. Spiritual sloth is ruinous to our comforts that we need in this present life. We need hope. We need assurance. We need those things so that we will press on, so that we don't lose our stability. But if we're not diligent, we're not going to have those things in this great degree or the great measure that the apostle is speaking of in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 to 12. When a person is a sluggard, spiritually speaking, then it lo they lose those comforts and those blessings from the Lord. So let's deal with then this issue of what is spiritual sloth, and we'll deal with that in these three headings that have subheadings as well. And as I mentioned last week, so as not to be a plagiarist, much of this is from the readings that I'm doing throughout the week, and you'll come across something that's very good, and it's like, there's no way I can fit this into the sermon. We'll be here for 10 hours. So we'll, we'll, we will be here for 10 hours. It's just in the second hour that there is the addition uh, things. So number one, so that being said, <clears throat> uh, you can be very grateful for John Owen, and the grace of God given to that man, and the abilities that God gave to that man in his perceptions of these spiritual realities. And it's been a great resource for me as I've studied through the book of Hebrews, and it's been a good resource for you as well, because much of that is, uh, is being uh, communicated throughout, throughout those sermons. 
And it reminds us that we are indebted to those who have gone before us, to those who have gone before us. And should be an island unto himself that we depend upon uh, the body of Christ, the body of Christ. Okay, whether living or dead. Number one, spiritual sloth is a habitual reluctancy of mind to attend to spiritual duties in proper time and season. I'll say that again. Spiritual sloth is a habitual reluctancy of mind to attend to spiritual duties in proper time and season. It arises from unbelief, right? Sloth or sluggishness is not coming from faith. It's coming from unbelief. It comes from the flesh, and it also has worldly affections or carnal affections that is producing these things within us. It results in a neglect of duty and a lack of, of awareness to danger. Right? The Bible tells us that our life, our sojourning, is filled with many dangers. That we are not unaware of the schemes of the devil. We have an adversary who is like a prowling, roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When a person is given to spiritual sloth, there is a lack of awareness of these things, of the danger that is out there, and there is a neglect in duty. Why do I need to give myself to these things? It's not a big deal, right? We're all going to make it. God's a God of love. It's very easy to go to heaven. It's not a hard, narrow way that leads to life. There's not few who find it. We can just live however we please. So ultimately, this is what the spiritual sloth is, this reluctant mind to attend to spiritual duties in their time and in their season. Here, first, in terms of this, uh, uh, heading under this one, it is neglect from lack of enthusiasm, right, in performing our duties. The mind is not alert and ready, but is always distracted. A person who is sluggish, their mind is not used, their mind is not set on things in the proper way. It's, it's muddled up in the way that they're pursuing things. Their mind is set on worldly things, on the things of this life, on the things of this world. Not that, again, in even the Christian, there isn't a place, right? There are times and seasons when we do need to think about what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, right? What we're going to do. We have to think about our family. We have to think about caring for them, right? There has to be some attention given to this present life because we live in this present world. But that cannot lead to a neglect of the life to come, of the spiritual things. And the spiritual must always have the priority in the child of God. But in the one who is stricken or who is suffering from this spiritual sluggishness, his mind is not alert and ready to the heavenly, eternal, spiritual realities, but he's distracted by the things of this world so that he's not giving himself enthusiastically to the performing of his duties, right? It undermines the entire principle of spiritual warfare, which demands an alert mind and an alert spirit. How can someone go to war, be in the middle of the battlefield, the battle raging all around them, and yet be unconcerned with these things, be alert, not be thinking that the enemy is right across the ridge and at any moment they could come over, surprise us, and try to kill us. That I need to be ready. My gun needs to be ready. It needs to be loaded. It needs to be clean. I need to be awake. I need to be alert. I need to be watching constantly because if they come, 
then I need to be ready to defend myself and to fight. Otherwise, they're going to catch me unaware and they're going to have the victory over me. Right In the middle of the battle, in the battlefield, the, the soldier must be alert. He must constantly be alert lest he come under uh, the enemy and be defeated in that way. Well, aren't we in a spiritual warfare? Isn't the Christian life defined by a spiritual war? And when is the time of our warfare? Right now, from our conversion until our death, we are in the middle of a battle. And that means that we need to be alert. We need to be watchful. We need to always be watching and ready because our enemy is looking for someone to devour. And one who is given to this sluggishness is not alert, he's not ready, he's always distracted by the things of this world, right? It's like the soldier there on the battlefield and he's looking at the butterflies flying around or he's looking over here into the woods looking at this or that, but his mind isn't fixed on the battle. And this is what one who is given to this sluggishness is doing. It undermines the entire principle of the spiritual warfare that demands an alerted mind and a spirit that is ready to fight and wage war. Chapter 13. Romans 13, verse 11 to 14. Romans 13, verse 11. He says, Do this, knowing the time, that it is already the hour taken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. So here, it's time, he says, to awaken from your sleep, from your stupor, from your sluggishness. You have to shake these things off and be awake and understand the hour in which you live. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Aren't all of us one day closer today to eternity than we were yesterday? Every day we draw closer to eternity. The night is almost gone, the night of our sojourning. The day is almost here, the day in which we enter into the life to come. And we have to be ready and think about those things, sober-minded, and say, I may stand before the Lord soon, and I must be ready and prepared, not living in the deeds of darkness, but rather... Put on the armor of light, the whole armor of God, as a good soldier of Christ, and be faithful to the Lord. Make no provision, he says, for the flesh. You have to see that it is working against you, trying to undermine you, right? Trying to unsettle you, trying to cause you to lose your stability, which is what Satan, if he cannot get our condemnation, and if we are in Christ Jesus, he cannot get us under condemnation again. So that is off the table for him. But he wants us then to lose our stability so that we are weak and we waver and we lose our comfort and our hope and our assurance in this life. This is what he, desire, he desires for us now and that we might fall into some scandalous sin so as to bring reproach on the name of Christ, so as to bring shame upon the name of Christ. This is what he wants us to do. And every, every sin that comes upon us he wants that sin, and sin itself, the very nature of sin, is for it to manifest itself in greater degrees within us. Just as there's the full assurance of hope, right? A degree of hope 
that comes with maturity, there's also degrees of sin. Sin, by nature, wants to manifest itself in greater and greater degrees. Every lustful thought, if sin has its way, will end up in open adultery. Every angry, hateful thought, if sin has its way, will end up in murder. Right? Every blasphemous thought will end up in an open denial of the Lord, if sin is left unchecked. And that's why we have to make no provision for these things. We have to take it very, very seriously. But the one who is sluggish, he has this laissez-faire, easy come, easy go, careless, haphazard approach to the Christian life. That's no big deal. Let's just, you know, move on. First Peter 5, 8, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Sober spirit. You have to have your mind and your wits about you. Right? If your spirit is not sober, if you're like a drunkard, a drunkard loses his ability to reason, to think. He loses his whatever inhibitions he has there because of the effects of the alcohol. Right? He's not thinking. He's not in his right mind. And he's more susceptible to deception, to foolery, to acting like an, an imbecile and an idiot. Okay? Then a sober person. Well, you've got to be sober-minded. And we have to be sober spiritually. Be on the alert. There's a lion that is prowling around, looking for someone to devour. That means that we must be ready at all times and all seasons. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 42. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Then also, verse 45. Who then is the faithful and sensible whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. There, be on the alert. You do not know the day in which the master is coming. And the diligent man will take that to heart and that will motivate him to pursue a life of godliness, to pursue holiness, to pursue love of the saints, to give himself to the means of grace given by God by which to build up our faith and to increase our godliness. So sloth is then this neglect from a lack of enthusiasm. The person has no zeal to pursue the things of God. At its height, it is habitual. Right? If it gets the grip upon a person, if it uh, becomes the pattern of their life, when it is magnified to a greater extent, it does become habitual. Now, there is no man who does not from time to time fail in his duties. So long as we have the flesh, there are going to be times when we are sluggish when we're not thinking rightly, right? Where we are weighed down with dissipation, where we're weighed down with sin. There are times that all of us, even the most mature Christian in this life, he's going to have to deal with sluggishness, right? It's going to come upon him. We all stumble in many ways. We all have a body of weakness. We all have temptations to sin. Even the disciples of the Lord were given to sluggishness. Even the night in which he was betrayed, when Jesus was imploring them to watch and pray, they were overcome with weariness, with tiredness, with sleepiness, and they did not give themselves 
to their spiritual duties of the weakness of the body. And those are the disciples of the Lord. And they failed in that way. And we also will fail in that way as well. Matthew 26, verse 36. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And then in verse 40, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he finds them asleep again. They were not diligent in their spiritual duties. They did not understand the seriousness of the temptation and the trial that was about to come upon them, and they were not prepared for that. And then what happened to all of them? The shepherd was struck, and the sheep scattered. And even with Peter, he denied the Lord three times that evening. Now, this was the disciples. This was not their pattern of life. This was occasional. It came upon them. They were overcome with sluggishness because of the weakness of the body. However, there are others who it, it, it has a great grip upon, right? That this becomes the habitual pattern of their life. And this is the case in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. Revelation three fifteen. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, and I become wealthy and have need of nothing. You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So here, the whole course of their spiritual life was defined by this habitual sluggishness. No enthusiasm, no eagerness, no desire to give themselves to the things of God. It's seen in neglect of the word and prayer. Watch and pray is what Jesus told his disciples. And yet because of their weariness, their sluggishness, they did not watch and pray. And this is what we must do. We must watch and pray. And when we have the ability to do them, the occasion to do them, yet we fail to do them because we lack the desire to do it, then that's the problem. That's when we are given to this type of sluggishness, this type of slothfulness in the things of God. And typically, what is the problem? What keeps people from praying? Are people so busy that they don't have 10 minutes a day to offer a prayer to God? That if a person is that busy, then that's a problem. (laughs) They shouldn't be that busy. So it's not a lack of time. Everyone has the time to pray. Is it the lack of ability? They don't have the ability to form coherent thoughts in their mind? Well, no, of course they know how to do that. They can speak, they can talk to others, they can communicate their thoughts and their ideas to other people. So it's not a lack of time, and it's not a lack of, of the ability. So that is it that people don't pray? What's lacking? It's the desire. It's the desire that is lacking in them. That's why they don't give themselves. It is a neglect to do their duty. They're sluggish. 
They're being slothful. They're being lazy by not doing what they're supposed to do. They know that they ought to do it. They have the ability to do it. There's plenty of time in the day to do it, and yet they fail to do so because they lack the desire. And this is evidence of sluggishness. Also, another evidence that this has become habitual. That would be a sign that it is habitual. When they know the command, they have the time, they have the ability, and yet they fail to do it. Also, another evidence that it has become habitual is when in the conflict between the duties, the desires of the spirit and the desires of the flesh, when the scales often tip toward the flesh. That is a sign that one is given over to this spiritual sluggishness. Grace stirs us to diligently attend to our duties. The flesh resists these things. And if we're giving ourselves to the flesh, then we're not going to do the things that we need to do. So in the first place then, spiritual sloth is this habitual reluctancy of mind to attend to our spiritual duties in the proper times and season. Number two, spiritual sloth arises from unbelief and carnal affections. Sloth rises from unbelief and carnal affections. First, unbelief. Romans 14, 23. Romans 14, 23. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Is sluggishness sin? According to our passage in Hebrews chapter 6. Yes, because he doesn't want that to be true of him. It is sin. Therefore, can sluggishness be arising from faith? No, and if it's not coming from faith, then it's coming from unbelief. Faith has the ability to move mountains. Obstacles with our duty move those obstacles so that it is a clear path to the performance of our... Unbelief has the opposite effect. Unbelief will take the smallest pebble, the smallest little molehill, and turn it into a what? Turn it into a giant mountain that prohibits us or keeps us from doing the things that we ought to do. Anything that can be used, anything that arises to justify the neglect of the duty. This is what unbelief and this is what the flesh will do. That's what we read earlier from Proverbs 26, 13. The sluggard says there's a lion in the street. There's a lion in the open square. As ridiculous as that would be, that there would be a lion prowling about in Shawnee, in the middle of Shawnee. How is that going to be possible? There would be a zoo in Shawnee. It's not even possible for that thing to even be around here. And yet the sluggard will say, oh, it's very dangerous out there. I need to stay in my home, right? Whatever it takes to overcome the duty, to justify staying at home, staying at bed, not, not work. He has the sniffles. Oh, I'm, I'm so sick. I can't go to work. And yet his friend calls and says, hey, you want to go fishing? And all of a sudden, guess what? He's able to overcome the sniffles. He can go fishing. Why? Because he has a desire to go fishing and he hates going to work, right? And that, in, in some cases, that's natural for us to not have this great desire. However, we have to do what we know we ought to do. We have to overcome those things. I'm not saying that it's always going to be the case that we have this great desire to pray or this great desire to read the word of God. That's what we want because when that desire is there, it's easy to perform our duty. It's a joy and a delight. But the Christian life, it, it, it uh, consists of 
doing those things when that great desire is there, but also doing those things when the desire is not there because it's the right thing to do and praying that God would overcome our flesh and that he would overcome these desires and that he would forgive us for how weak we are and how sluggish we are that we don't desire the right things and that he would change us. And if a person waits until they have the desire to pray, what are they never going to do? Many times they're never going to pray. And if they wait till they have the desire to read the Bible, to read the Bible, many times they're not going to read the Bible. But when we do those things because it's the right thing to do, and we know that this is what God has called us to do, many times what we'll find is though at the beginning of our prayer, we may not have the desire, but as we begin to do that, what happens? God begins to enliven us. The flame begins to burn. We may be dull when we begin reading the Bible, but as we are reading it, God begins to, and and then the desire begins to grow within us, and it becomes stronger and stronger because God is blessing us because we're doing the things that we ought to do. So sloth comes from unbelief. Unbelief, sluggishness is rooted in unbelief. Also, carnal affections. Carnal affections are a detriment to diligence in spiritual things and inflame sluggishness in spiritual things. Love of money, love of pleasure, love of comfort, love of ease, love of hobbies, right? Again, in some of these things, there is a proper place. It's the love of them that is the problem, the inordinate desire for them, the carnal affection for money, Right for pleasure, for comfort, for ease, for hobbies, for all of these things. When those things are being driven by carnal affections, this will make a man more sluggish. His mind is always occupied with those things. And if our mind is always occupied with money and pleasure and ease and comfort and hobbies and sports and all the things that I love, then what am I never going to be thinking about? Spiritual things. Heavenly things. But what does the Bible tell us should be the focus of our mind and of our attention? Well, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Colossians 3, 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. The priority, the preeminence, the prominent position must be given to the things that are above and not on the things of this earth. Okay, that's number two. Number three, what are the effects of sloth? And some of these we've already touched on, but we'll deal with them personally here. The effects. The first, neglect of duty, both public and private. The Christian life consists of obedience to God, right? We ought to be faithful to the Lord. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments, There are duties, responsibilities that we have as Christians to the Lord, to be faithful to Him, to serve Him. And these are both public and private. Publicly, these are the things that we fulfill together. Right? We are to meet together regularly, to encourage one another, to edify each other, to worship God together corporately as a body. We meet together so that we can care for one another, so that we can show affection and love for one another, so that we can publicly worship God with the people of God, offer public prayers to the Lord, we can partake of the ordinances together, right? This we do in in a public way. 
And these are our public duties that we are to offer to God. A person who is sluggish will neglect these things. He will neglect coming to church. He will neglect a meeting and assembling with the saints because he's distracted and he finds other things to fill that time. When a person neglects those things and doesn't make them a priority, it is a sign of spiritual sluggishness. Secondly, the private duties, which is we ought to be reading the word, prayer, the pursuit of holiness. Also in our homes, the father should be teaching his children, doing family devotions. Well, a person who isn't doing those things is a sluggard, right? He's not giving himself to his spiritual duties. And again, many times, it's not a matter of time. There's time in the day to do it. It's not a matter of ability. We have Bibles at home. We have Psalm books at home. We have children at home. We have space in the home, right? All of it is there for us to do it. Yet we fail to do what we ought to do. We fail to give ourselves to those duties. And it shows that it's not arising because of, it'd be one thing if a father failed to lead his family because he's in prison and his family's not there with him. Okay, that's a different situation. But when there's time to do those things, but instead of doing that, he's watching TV or going about doing this and that and not attending to his spiritual duties, well, then that's a sign of sluggishness. Number two, so not only a neglect of duties, but then number two, a lack of, of serious regard for temptations and the dangers of them. A slothful man uh, will be very careless regarding temptation. Whatever temptations there are and whatever proclivities he has, he doesn't take those things seriously. He just is floating through life in this careless way, and he's not thinking and being aware and being watchful over his own heart and over his own soul thinking that these are areas where I struggle. I need to be very careful about these things. This is the case with, in the book of Proverbs, the young man who's lacking sense. And because he lacks sense, he has no serious regard for temptation. He has no serious regard of the dangers of the prostitute. And so he walks by her house, and what happens to him? He's, he is overcome by her, right? He is snatched by her to his own ruin and destruction. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it tells us that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will provide the way of escape. God will provide the way of escape. So if we are overcome with temptation and the temptation results in sin, then whose fault is it? It's not God's, it's ours. And it's because of a lack of awareness and seriousness in our own hearts and mind. We're being careless in regards to these things. James 4, 7 says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist him, and he will flee from you. But is that going to happen accidentally? A resisting of the devil? No, it is intentional. It is through diligence that those things occur. Then third, effect of sloth. Weariness and despondency in times of trouble and hardship. A person who is given to sloth, whenever he goes through difficult times, hardships, sufferings, trials, tribulations, whether that be because of the word or if those just be common to man, right? We all go through hardships. We all face sickness. 
We all have the death of loved ones. We all have disappointments in this life. All of these things happen uh, to each and every one of us. Someone who is given to spiritual sloth will be very overcome by these things. They'll become very weary. They'll become despondent. They'll go into a depression. They'll be discouraged to a great degree during these times of difficulty and hardship. Hebrews chapter 12. And again, I'm not saying that the Christian approach to hardship is the stiff upper lip. They're called sorrows because they bring about sorrow. And sorrow is a part of of being a man, being a person. Jesus was a man of sorrows. So it's not that hardships that we just have to be unaffected by them and it doesn't bother us and we just have to act like it's not happening. Of course that's not the case. But when the sorrow causes us to neglect the duty and to fail to be faithful to God, that's the problem. And a person who is a spiritual sluggard, he will become so weary during those times that he, he can't do anything for the Lord, right? He fails in doing what God has called him to do. Hebrews 12, verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Here, he's dealing with them in these two regards. They're going through a, a trial. They're going through a suffering. And they are becoming despondent. They're losing their stability. Well, he's reminding them, one, yes, you are going through a trial, but you're not even shedding your blood yet. So this suffering you're facing has not risen to the greatest degree. It's still at a, uh, it's at a, a high degree. It is a hard trial, but you're not losing your blood yet. People aren't dying because of the suffering. Okay, so one, it hasn't risen to this level yet, and, and it hasn't done so yet, and you're striving against sin. And this is because God is faithful to you, and he knows that at this point you can't bear that kind of suffering. And then secondly, you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. You think it's odd and bizarre and peculiar that you're a Christian, you're a child of God, and you're going through a suffering. Why would you think that that's surprising? Why would you be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you? Have you forgotten what God says in his word? What God does to his children? How he addresses his own sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. There, don't regard it lightly, and don't faint when you're reproved by the Lord. When the trial comes upon you, and you're a child of God, who is the one that's bringing it upon you? It is the Lord. And what is the temptation? To faint to be overcome by the trial and hardship so that it causes us to doubt the goodness of God, to doubt the love of God for us, to doubt whether we're in the faith. This is what it's causing them to do. But he's saying, don't faint when you're reproved by God. This is evidence of God's love for you because he disciplines every son that he receives. It is for discipline that you must endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we all had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. 
Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, asking best of them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline, for the moment, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. There, this weariness in the time of discipline, right? They're being despondent in the time of hardship and trial. And he says, this shouldn't be happening to you. Instead, you need to strengthen your hands, right? They're weak, but you need to strengthen them. The knees are feeble, but they need to be strong. You need to make straight paths for your feet. And how does all of that happen? Through diligence, diligently attending to the things of God. Make the straight path for your feet. So these are the evidences. This is what spiritual sluggishness is. These are the evidences of it. Right? This life is our time to work for the Lord. He has hired us to go out into his field and to work. Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 to 2 tells us, the kingdom of God is like the owner of a vineyard who hired servants to go out and work. This is the time for us to work for the Lord. The life to come is the time for rest. Not that we don't have a measure of rest now, but that is when we rest from all of our labors, from all of our sorrows, from all the hardships and difficulties that we will face. Now is the time to be diligent, to be faithful to this calling. And we cannot grow weary in doing good. We must press on. We must make straight paths for our feet. We must strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And we must press on until we enter into the kingdom of God. It takes diligence in those things. We'll finish with Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There he says, we have to lay aside every encumbrance. Whatever is hindering us from pursuing Christ, from being diligent, he says, you got to lay it aside. Lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. Isn't that true? A true statement? It easily entangles us. So we constantly need to lay it aside. And we have to run with endurance the race set before us. We will run and we will be entangled and we have to untangle ourselves and then we have to keep running and then we'll be entangled. And we, in the Christian life is that repeated over and over and over again. But what must we keep doing from start to finish? We have to keep running, running with endurance the race that is set before us and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And, and we have to do that until the very end, until the end, until God calls us out of this life and until we enter into 
the inheritance waiting for us in the life to come. So then, let us put off these hindrances, put off sluggishness, and put on diligence, and pursue the things of God as those whose minds are rightly fixed on the things of God, and who have faith and who understand what is the outcome of all these things. Let's pray, and then after that, we'll be dismissed. And I'm going to ask Bruce, would you mind praying and dismissing us tonight?